This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on Hump Day, day 30 of the 60-day session. It's the midpoint, and the leader of the House Democrat says their midterm grade is nothing to be proud of. It's hard to grade anything halfway through, but this, at best, I, I don't think you can give it anything better than just a mediocre uh, grade, you know, C minus, D plus. Republican leaders do not agree with that assessment. They're quite happy with the way the session is unfolding. A Senate committee votes to outlaw the death penalty if the killer was suffering from a serious mental illness at the time of the crime. We as a country have decided we are not going to execute the intellectually disabled, what we formerly re referred to as mental retardation. And so what this bill would do is expand that exemption to include the seriously mentally ill. The GOP war against citizen initiatives continues. The Senate Ethics Committee approves a bill to limit donations to groups that are trying to place an amendment on the ballot. Opponents say it's one more way to silence the opposition. The voters constantly tell us over and over what they would like for us to do, and we constantly just totally ignore them, whether it was with regards to medical marijuana or Amendment 4 or, you know, uh, the minimum wage. All of those amendments were passed in spite of the legislature. A Senate committee votes to give small farmers more protection from nuisance lawsuits. Opponents claim it will do more for big sugar by undermining efforts to stop the burning of cane fields in South Florida. During harvest burn season, you have people going to the hospital because they can't breathe, because clearly the practice is affecting their ability to do what we all must do to stay alive. That's problematic. The governor heads for the glades to watch workers start removing a five-mile stretch of the Tamiami Trail. It's part of the effort to restore the flow of water to the river of grass. This is really an important project to remove over five miles of roadbed from the old Tamiami Trail. Uh, what that will do is that'll improve the volume of water flowing south through the Everglades. We'll also have your calendar of political events and a report on the latest Florida man facing federal charges for his actions on Insurrection Day. Plus a Florida congressman facing a federal investigation about sex trafficking a 17-year-old girl. But first, a word from the sponsors. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity, Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, March 31st. This is National Crayon Day, National Tater Day, National Farm Workers Day, and Manatee Appreciation Day. On this date in 1889, the Eiffel Tower opened in Paris. In 1918, Daylight Savings Time took effect for the first time in the U.S., and on this date in 1948, Congress approved the Marshall Plan to help pay for the reconstruction of Europe after World War II. The New York Times says the feds are investigating potential sex trafficking violations by U.S. Representative Matt Gates of Okaloosa County, who is Donald Trump's number one supporter on the state's congressional delegation. The Times reports that Justice Department investigators are looking into whether Gates had a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old girl and paid for her to travel with him. The investigation began during the final months of the Trump administration under then-Attorney General William Barr. 
Florida's Department of Health reported more than 5,000 new cases of COVID on Tuesday and 92 additional fatalities. Our death toll has reached 33,983. The total number of cases is more than 2,052,000. Today is the midpoint of the session, and Republican leaders have been positively giddy about everything they've done over the past month. So we asked one of the leaders of the House Democrats to grade their performance, and Evan Jenny of Broward County was nowhere near as enthusiastic. He's more concerned about what they haven't done. It has been an oddly slow session thus far. Things are moving at a much slower pace. It's hard to grade anything halfway through, but this at best, I I don't think you can give it anything better than just a mediocre uh, grade, you know, C minus D plus. And you could go a lot worse than that um, if, if, you know, if you're looking at certain things here and looking at certain things that aren't being done, um, because that I think the absence uh, is really where I have the biggest problem. Uh, we have not seen anything of, of substance, of, of significant substance come through that's going to help alleviate the utility and rental woes that so many Floridians had to live through over the course of the last 12 months. Uh, we have not seen um, anything really on COVID-19 uh, other than to give big businesses um, uh, immunity uh, that they may or may not have uh, earned. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I think it's the absence that that really Uh, gives me the most pause. The absence of anything of real significance that are going to make people's lives better than the, the, the hellish situation they had to live through last year. Moving right along, the Criminal Justice Committee in the Florida Senate says we should not be executing people who are mentally ill at the time of the crime. Senator Jeff Brandis of St. Petersburg is the sponsor of SB 1156. It provides that a court cannot issue a death penalty if the person is, was seriously mental ill when they committed the crime. Serious mental illness is defined as a mental diagnosis, disability, or, uh, or defect that prevents the person from recognizing the wrongfulness of their offense, acting on behalf of rational judgment, or acting in law uh, in regards to his or her crime. The bill provides procedures for the court to make determination of serious mental illness as a part of execution. The defendant must present clear signs of mental illness at the time of the offense, and the bill allows retroactivity apl- application for defendants who have, com- um, who have completed the state's post-conviction proceeding. That's the bill. Adam Roberts with the Florida Mental Health Advocacy Coalition says this bill goes a long way in recognizing that people with a mental illness are not always responsible for their actions. We absolutely support this bill. Um, anything that is going to take the death penalty off the table for those who are suffering from severe mental illness, we see as a positive, uh, especially where that would give the same protections that are provided to those individuals who have developmental disabilities. The death penalty is no longer allowed for persons with an intellectual disability. And public defender Allison Miller, who specializes in capital cases, says people with a serious mental illness deserve the same sort of protection. I'm asking you all to consider passing this legislation to say that we as a state are not going to execute people who are sick, who are mentally ill. We as a country have decided we are not going to execute the intellectually disabled, what we formerly referred to as mental retardation, And so what this bill would do is expand that exemption to include the seriously mentally ill. I think most people in the community already think the seriously mentally ill are exempt or are included in that intellectual disability exemption. Florida leads the country in death row exonerations. The national average is one in 10. Florida is one in three. For every three defendants sentenced to die, one is exonerated. That is determined to be factually innocent. 
the mentally ill are the most likely or the most susceptible to being wrongfully convicted because they're the most or they're the least able to assist in their own defense. The bill passed the Criminal Justice Committee with a unanimous vote. The Ethics and Elections Committee in the Senate approves a bill placing a cap on donations to political committees that are trying to put constitutional amendments on the ballot. Senator Ray Rodriguez of Estero says he wants to prevent out-of-state billionaires from bankrolling citizen initiatives. The opening line of the Florida Constitution reads, We, the people of the state of Florida. And this bill seeks to ensure that any changes to that document are initiated from those whom the Constitution was written for and from those who will have to live under the Constitution once it's amended. Republicans lined up to support the bill, but Democrats have issues. Senator Tina Polsky of Boca Raton says it's one more way the GOP majority is trying to silence groups that oppose their agenda. In this committee, we've made it more onerous to vote by mail. We've made it harder to pass citizens' initiatives by requiring an almost impossible majority of 66.6% of the vote. And now we are attempting to make it financially impossible to go through the very difficult petition gathering process that has gotten harder with each passing year. This process to update, reform, and improve the people's document should be available to the people. It is not ours to control as a leg legislature, and that seems to be all that we've been doing. Ever since I've been in the legislature for the past three years, all we have done is make it harder and harder for these citizens' initiatives. And this is just the latest example to make it more difficult to finance the more difficult process that the legislature has created to make it more expensive. And now we're not giving them the opportunity to collect more money. So it's just impossible. And that, I guess, is the goal. And that is really frustrating because it's the people's document. It's not the legislature's document. And if we're the ones, as legislators, with the power, why do we get unlimited contributions? from dark money or elsewhere or political committees. You know, it's, it's just quite frustrating that the group in power is making it harder for people not in power to speak their mind and let the people decide. Senator Annette Tadeo of Miami-Dade says Republicans have spent years trying to gut the citizens' initiative process because it allowed voters to override the legislature on issues like raising the minimum wage, fair redistricting, medical marijuana, and the restoration of voting rights for ex-felons, issues the legislature refused to address. The voters constantly tell us over and over what they would like for us to do, and we constantly just totally ignore them whether it was with regards to medical marijuana or Amendment 4 or, you know, uh, the minimum wage. We're, we're trying to even amend that. And yes, a Floridian spend, John Morgan, spend $6 million of his own money to get that passed because we couldn't get it done at the legislature. Well, it's really hard when we don't listen. We don't listen to the voters. The voters have told us time and time again, these are the things we want you to do, and yet we turn around and do exactly the opposite or try to limit how they can get something across. I think a balance is very important, but we don't have a balance in Tallahassee. And so the voters have to go to the initiative to try to bring about the changes in Florida that bring us things such as minimum wage and Amendment 4, and medical marijuana. So I think that we shouldn't make it harder. 
The bill was also opposed by Jessica Lewis with the Sierra Club of Florida. She says the legislature is trying to torpedo future amendments by cutting off their money now. Constitutional amendments proposed by initiative are incredibly expensive due to the many restrictions placed on them through recent legislation. Now, SB 1890 seeks to restrict funding for such initiatives by limiting contributions. This is yet another step in eroding the ability of average Florida voters to have a say in the future of our state. It's true. This isn't a progressive versus conservative issue. This isn't Democrat versus Republican. This is Floridians versus those that wish to silence us. If you find it offensive that billionaires influence our ballot initiative process, then we should find it equally offensive that billionaires influence our state government and legislation. Floridians want to be heard. Please listen to us. The League of Women Voters also opposed the bill. They led the drive for the Fair Districts Amendment that forced lawmakers to redo the way they draw the district lines every 10 years after the census. Now, the only non-lawmaker to speak in favor of the bill was Christopher Emanuel with the Florida Chamber of Commerce. Constitutions protect the rights of Floridians and structure the state government. And citizen initiatives can fundamentally change the rights of Floridians and the way that our state functions without a legislative check, without an executive veto, and without meaningful judicial review. This is no way to run a constitutional initiative process. And worryingly, this process is frequently used by single individuals that are able to buy their way to the ballot. This is not the way that the citizen initiative process was designed. I object to the characterization that this silences citizens. This protects rights. If we want to hear from the citizens, we can do that via elections. And this body is able to pass a general law and put a question directly on the ballot to hear feedback. There's no mystery about the chamber's support for anything that limits citizen initiatives. They are still fuming over last year's passage of a constitutional amendment raising the minimum wage. The chamber had more than enough politicians in their pockets to keep that from ever passing the legislature, but they could not stop it when the public had a chance to vote. The House subcommittee that deals with agriculture issues has approved Representative J.R. Williams' bill that expands protections under Florida's right-to-farm law against what he calls nuisance lawsuits. The existing Right to Farm Act protects reasonable agricultural activities from nuisance lawsuits dating back to the 1970s when the state began to identify a potential conflict between farmers and developers as more and more neighborhoods began to replace farmland. The law does not um, grant absolute immunity, but generally provide protections based upon a coming to the nuisance defense theory. People that move next door to the nuisance shouldn't be able to sue the farmers who have been there for years. This bill adds agritourism activities to the list of farm operations that receive legal protection. The bill limits those who may bring a nuisance action against a farm operation to those whose real property is located within a half mile of the alleged source of nuisance. Farmers are not the only targets of these nuisance lawsuits. Representative David Smith of Winter Springs says new arrivals tend to file these suits against all sorts of operations. You come here and you move next to a farm and you want to complain and you want to sue somebody with a frivolous lawsuit. Or you come into a tourism area and you complain that the Ferris wheels turns at night and you don't like that. Or you're next to a marina and you don't like that the boats blow their horn when they go out to sea. It's one thing after another. As more people come to Florida, but more importantly, it's about the frivolous lawsuits. And I think year over year, we're going to continue to have to run bills like yours that are protecting farming interests, uh, but it's going to spread until we have meaningful tort reform in Florida and we can cut down on the frivolous lawsuits. Backers of the bill say it will protect small farmers, but Representative Omari Hardy of West Palm Beach is worried it will also protect the sugar industry from any liability for the health problems created by the burning of sugarcane fields in South Florida. 
this bill, I think, would provide cover for practices that have been demonstrated uh, to be harmful for not just people on the glades, but people anywhere in the state of Florida. There's a focus in the bill on particle emissions or particulate matter. Um, independent peer reviewed studies show that the particulate matter that the bill sponsor mentioned, PM 2.5, that stuff increases dramatically during harvest burn season. And that's the stuff that gets deeply into your lungs, into your children's lungs. That, that's the stuff that causes asthma or exacerbates asthma that a person already has. And that's one of the reasons why during harvest burn season, you have people going to the hospital because they can't breathe, because clearly the practice is affecting their ability to do what we all must do to stay alive. That's problematic. And then there are all these other chemicals that are carcinogenic, mutagenic. That means that they cause cancer and they can affect your genes. And this is the stuff that's emitted when sugarcane is burned in the glades. This is a harmful practice, not a myth, as some folks would say that it is. The regret that I feel is that this, some people in the community who may be looking the other way at this practice, they feel that they have to choose between clean air and a good job. They feel that they have to choose between air that doesn't give their children asthma and the ability to put food on the table for those children. That's not fair. That's a choice nobody should face. And frankly, it's on those of us in this committee and in this body and also in the federal government to resolve that choice in favor of the people who live there. They need a new deal from us and from the federal government, which gives these companies billions of dollars in subsidies. I cannot vote for this bill because it provides cover for practices that are clearly harmful. Opponents of the bill say that provision about particle emissions is a deliberate effort to undermine an existing federal lawsuit over the health impact of the ash that's created by the burning of cane fields. Down in the glades, they call it black snow. The governor was in the glades Tuesday to check out an Everglades restoration project to remove more than five miles of roadbed from the old Tamiami Trail. This is really an important project to remove over five miles of roadbed from the old Tamiami Trail. Uh, what that will do is that'll improve the volume of water flowing south through the Everglades and support uh, reducing harmful discharges from both Lake Okeechobee to Lake Okeechobee, from Lake Okeechobee to Caloosahatchee and St. Lucie estuaries. Uh, so we think that um, all of these, the Central Everglades planning project will help deliver additional clean water from Lake O south to Water Conservation Area 3, Everglades National Park, as well as Florida Bay. Uh, this roadbed removal uh, is expected to increase the flow of clean, fresh water into Northeast Shark River Slough by more than, I mean, huge billions of gallons. I mean, I, you know, they give me this number. I, I don't know if that, but it's billions and billions of gallons of water that's going to go down. And so they tell me that this project is expected to be completed uh, by January. So we'll hold you to that and make sure that we continue uh, working hard to be able to get that done. But all in all, uh, we continue to make progress. We set a lot of ambitious goals. We're meeting those goals. We're exceeding those goals in many respects. And we've been able to get strong support from the legislature over the first two years and now into year three. Uh, I think it's going to look like we're going to do uh, very, very well. And, um, you know, this is part of what we're doing uh, for infrastructure in the state. We're going to be doing a lot more uh, of other things as we uh, process some of the, the federal money and all the other stuff that, that we have the ability to do. 
Department of Environmental Protection Secretary Noah Valenstein says breaching the road is the key to restoring natural water flow through the glades and eventually into Florida Bay. More than 200 billion gallons of water that's going to be able to move south with this project um, completed. When water's not moving south, you have water going out to the estuaries. We don't want it there. You also have, I'll mention, our tribal nations, when we have high water levels, are having flooding on their own homes. This is not acceptable, and we look forward to seeing more water going south. Tamiami Trail has a special significance for the Miccosukee tribe. Kenny Cypress is treasurer of the tribe, and he says this road was their link to the outside world. For generations, old Tamiami Trail was the access point that brought the world to the doorstep of the Miccosukee people. It served as a spot for the Miccosukee to sell their crafts to those passing by from Miami to Naples. Today marks the end of that era. But the gravel field that brought so many people to the gateway of the Everglades and the home of the Miccosukee will not be disregarded and sent to some unknown place. The gravel field that you see here today will still have a home with the Miccosukee people. It will serve as a road to our new housing pads and will continue to be traveled upon for many more generations of Miccosukee people. And it was a big day for Pedro Ramos, the superintendent of Everglades National Park. The old Tamiami Trail has been an impediment to flow into Everglades National Park for 97 years. Even before the park became a dream for anybody to become a park, even before the park became a national park. And it will be an impediment no more with all of this work that we're doing here off of the Tamiami Trail. Between this project, the old Tamiami Trail removal, and the Tamiami Trail Next Steps Phase 2, we are making the Tamiami Trail practically invisible to the water flow that we need in Everglades National Park and eventually at the ultimate benefactor of all of this work that we're doing throughout the entire system, top to bottom, which is Florida Bay. If all goes as planned, this road removal project will be done by January of next year. The Sunrise Calendar and your daily dose of Florida Matter next, right after a word from the sponsor. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. Welcome back to your Sunrise Calendar. At 8, the Senate Governmental Oversight and Accountability Committee takes up a bill that creates a public records exemption for information about the home addresses, telephone numbers, and dates of birth of state lawmakers, cabinet members, their spouses, and their children. Also at 8, the Senate Health Policy Committee takes up a bill preventing transgender girls and women from competing in women's high school and college sports. At 9, the House Appropriations Committee takes up its $97 billion budget. The State Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission meets at 9.30. At 1, the Senate Appropriations Committee takes up its $95 billion budget. That's $2 billion less than the House version. And at 4, the entire House of Representatives meets for a floor session. They'll discuss a variety of bills, including a parental bill of rights and a bill allowing restaurants to sell takeout booze. 
Finally today, another Florida man is busted on federal charges for Insurrection Day. 30-year-old Arthur Jackman is a member of the far-right group called the Proud Boys. He's also the husband of an Orange County deputy. Jackman faces up to 11 years in prison if convicted on charges of obstructing official proceedings before Congress and entering restricted grounds to obstruct government business. He wore a shirt reading, Proud Boys Did Nothing Wrong, during his court hearing in Orlando. At least 31 Floridians are now facing federal charges for the failed coup. That's it for Sunrise. This is Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.